Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business Podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's episode is the third in a special series we're calling Beyond GPU, taking a look at edge AI computing challenges and solutions with help from guests at leading vendors and superscale global tech brands leading the most advanced hardware platform teams on the planet. In speaking of, today's guest on the program is Peter Tu, Chief Scientist of Computer Vision at GE Research. Peter returns to the AI and Business Podcast to talk about the advances in real-time cloud computing that are making computer vision more accessible across manufacturing and how executives can take advantage of these advances with the proper preparations in infrastructure and systems. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Peter, thank you so much for being back on the program with us. Oh, pleasure. It's been a bit since yep. we've last had you on the show and you were speaking with Daniel at the time. If we can start with an update, what do you see as the biggest issues currently facing manufacturing leaders given the current stage of AI adoption across the sector as of summer 2023? Right, right. So there's definitely uptake in the consumption of computer vision for this type of thing. But the issues that we're going to try and deal with in this space are to do with the complexity of the spaces that we're looking at. I would say a lot of the manufacturing decisions can be very straightforward. You know, this this object has a crack here. This object doesn't fit the right shape that it should be. You know, these are very tangible things that you can define. Other things, though, are more judgment calls. It's, it's almost like this doesn't quite look right or that looks good but not quite right. These are the more iffy things, and that becomes a problem because, you know, it's like art. You know, I don't know what it is until I see it. So you ask an expert, well, why did you think that's not right? Well, you know, so, so trying to get that defined, labeled, and annotated in a, with sufficient clarity, I think that's a challenge. The amount of data required to support these problems, we know that the the, the well, at least in some ways, the model's getting bigger and bigger, and the bigger the model, yeah. the more data it needs. There are a few shot learning approaches which are starting to emerge and have some power, but they're still emerging. So my feeling right now is that people are relying on the kind of accuracy you get from very large data sets and very large, very highly skilled annotations that sort of push the brink of what does it actually mean? And that's sort of what they're coming to grips with now. Right. It sounds like manufacturing has handled all the small, very straightforward, very right. objective stuff. And now it's really, it sounds like, especially to get this feedback that they'll need to right. handle a little bit more of the subjective or artistic questions, right. subject matter experts are going to be more important than ever. Just in terms of that, in, in where manufacturing leaders are looking to those experts to provide that kind of feedback, how should manufacturing leaders look at integrating them into the adoption process? Or at least how should they think of getting that expertise out of them, especially when we don't know, you know, how subjective it's going to be to get those answers? There's an art to that, right? There's, yeah. there's a vision of how you achieve that. I think that comes from, you, you need skilled practitioners. I mean, the the point of it is, you know, you know anyone can label a data set and out comes some sort of nonsense. But if, if, if you really want to articulate what it is exactly you're looking for, I think this is a process and that that's going to have to be almost a profession is going to emerge a little bit out of that. How do we articulate what we really want to achieve in ways that can be then transformed into 
numerical models, which is what we're targeting. We're looking for trying to create a computational model for some type of decision, some type of analysis, and the ability to articulate terms in ways that are necessary to support those things, I think is going to be still require expertise. So how we get people in general to do that, I think we see a great amount of democratization. But what I'm seeing a lot these days is, you know, a random person downloads, you know, random model. It worked to some degree, the ROC curve. And if it didn't, they move on to the next problem or the next model sort of thing. There's very little introspection there. Now, I'm also, I have been working quite a bit also with some folks at DARPA trying to understand what we're calling the, the geometry of learning. So here the thinking is, is this less about the, th- less about the theory of how does this particular discriminative classifier perform, but what is the data itself? Now, you can argue that the data, at least for images, reside on large spaces. I mean, an image space itself is, you know, if every pixel is a dimension, then a, uh, an image represents a point in a, you know, a massively high dimensional space. But the belief is, is that data associated with natural images, the data associated with images in your domain, will rely on what we're calling manifolds. These are somewhat smooth structures with some geometry, some topology on them. I won't get into the details of all of that. But what we're starting to see now is that can we develop theories of the data itself? And if we have practitioners and our users who understand not just, I have a bunch of data and I have an algorithm, I'm going to try it on, but actually have a theory for what is the structure of the data, what is the dependencies, what's independent, what's not. Can we disentangle various representations such that the semantics that we're after come out? That to me is the big question. And I think we're just starting. I mean, I think basically the general feeling is, is in, as computer vision, we're, we're kind of over our skis here, right? These algorithms yeah. work in ways that we just don't understand why they work. Or more poly- when they don't work, we don't understand why they didn't work, other than the fact that they did. We're, we're very empirical in that way. But I think we need a theory of the data. And as we get better to that, I think we're going to start to see more and more utility out of these things. And well, if, you know, we may not be able to solve the problem, but at least we'll know why this didn't solve and what, where, where the pitfalls are going to be. Yeah, it sounds a process that's a lot like, and I appreciate that you're taking this from a data perspective, but it sounds like a a process that is very similar to the ROI process of you're not going to know what this looks like. You can't put a schedule on this. It is art, not a science. You 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 constantly need to be asking, you know, are you thinking of the core business value of these workflows as you're adjusting them? Etc. How much crossover is there too? Because I imagine this this future role of adjusting subject matter experts and their expertise to less objective systems that goes hand in hand with ROI, does it right. not? Certainly, the return on investment, the the ROC curves, if you will, these these the ways with which these perform, all go back to that level of understanding the domain, understanding the algorithms themselves. So there's a crossover between what I would say domain knowledge and algorithmic knowledge, if you will. And mm-hmm. I think we're starting to see hybrids of that because to some extent, there is democratization going on on the algorithm side. I mean, that's, these aren't inscrutable things that require someone with a PhD who's devoted their life to understanding certain things. At some level, they are approachable, they're abstractable, but maybe not, not entirely. Domain experts, I think, will see that crossover between what is the return on this thing? What is the accuracy I'm going to get out of this thing? As well as what are these things actually are? What is What are these computational things to be? I don't know if that makes sense. No, no, it doesn't. I would also can't help but wonder, especially as we're at this moment where generative AI has entered the picture, 
especially from a media sense everywhere. Sure. But in terms of where we're seeing the rubber hit the road, we're only at the very tip of the right, iceberg, right, at least right. when it comes to how this will be implemented and how this will change things. A comparison I've heard a lot, especially just not even just AI, but specifically yeah. generative AI, large language models, is we're kind of at 1997 for the Internet. Right. You know, of, you know, web pages upload very slow by our standards today, but everybody thinks that's normal. Everybody thinks that's great that it even uploads to begin with. We're all impressed that it gives us an answer, no matter how accurate that answer is. And we're moving into this kind of time frame to stay in that early Internet analogy where everybody's starting to go, hey, wait a minute, shouldn't this website load a little bit faster than two minutes? Maybe shouldn't it be 20 seconds or 10 seconds? And by the time you get to like 2004, <laughs> these were my teenagers, so you can tell that I, I remember them very well, of, you know, by the time we get to 2004, most people have Wi-Fi. Everybody on the block has the internet. And, you know, if it takes more than two seconds for the website to load, then you're starting to ask questions. Is there something wrong with my internet? I think we're going to reach a phase where things that are considered not problems now are just a way of life are considered tremendous problems in that sense a, a couple of from years from now. But there's also, I mean, there, you have those technologies. There's also, we talked a lot of, in, in our emails about how computer vision has right. really upped its game in, in the last few years. How are business leaders using these new data tools right. and this expanded vision to help in that process of solving these problems? So I think the way of thinking about it to some degree is we've moved from what I would call boutique problems, right? You know, I have this very specific task to perform and I'm gonna use a discriminative classifier or some other computer vision algorithm to perform that act. So that's a very, to some extent, a very specific thing. I think where we're moving towards now with and what people are doing with the newer tools is to some extent, have we jumped the semantic gap? Now we're getting to the idea of not just, you know, specific calculations and discriminants, but to actual conceptual understanding of the environment. And where I think that leads us to is these things and you know, video has always been around since I've been around this been around. The question really is, can it ever go what you know, there's basically there's computer vision in the lab, and then computer vision in the wild world, the wild world is essentially semantically rich, it's semantically challenging, but we want our machines to be able to work out in these worlds. And those worlds can also be in our factories, the factory floor is actually a very semantically rich place. Once you understand what puddles and, and, and forklifts and people loading things and so forth. So what we're getting to the point now, I think, I would say, you know, initially AI was all about knowledge, representation and reasoning. Then it became statistical inference. Now it's becoming, I put you in an unforeseen circumstances. Can you get the gist of things and do the right thing? And so the gist of things is the key element here. So when I think of surveillance problems, I think of things like event detection. When did this thing happen? And that implies that I sort of knew what I was looking for. I was looking for this particular event to happen. Where we're going towards, though, now is a kind of annotation scheme, at least my opinion. So in computer vision now, take the Boston bombing situation, right? You know, the Boston bombing event happened, disaster. They were basically had to go through with all the video by hand to try and figure out who might have done this, right? From an intelligence gathering perspective, what you really want to be doing is annotating all that video automatically with the idea that you don't quite know what you're looking for and whether or not this is important or not. The fact that somebody's carrying a pressure cooker in and of itself isn't newsworthy. However, if he's carrying a pressure cooker towards the bomb site and happened before and that, so after the fact, we can now very quickly go to what actually was the cause of this. What, so if I'm looking on a factory floor, I can say, well, things are shutting down. Why are things shutting down? It turns out this machine wasn't loaded 
And we, we didn't know that it not being loaded at the time was actually that important, but it turns out that it was, and we can we quickly address it right away. So a kind of situational awareness is coming out. And to me, I think that's where we're getting, we, we've jumped. I've got a program right now where I'm looking at, can you do this annotation process automatically? And that reads, do you understand the objects and actions you're looking at? Do you understand their attributes? Not just that I, can I detect a machine or a vehicle or a car, but can I understand its attributes? Can I understand what's typical about that thing? What's atypical? Where does it sit on a continuum? And then what, what are its affordances? How would people use it? Why are people doing what they're doing with these things? And that kind of awareness, I think, is starting to emerge. And if we can have that, we get to a kind of situational awareness, which I think we've never seen before. It also sounds like the beginning of the process, you know, you've got the a initial AI adoption of we just want to take right. physical data from our factory floor. We just want to know what's going on, whether or not we have the context to say that guy is definitely going in that direction to put the, you know, I used to work in a warehouse to put right. the product in the bin, you know, so you don't have the context, but you at least you've got the map of the Fed, you've got the yeah. radar going. Tell us a little bit more about the next stage of the process and, and at least best practices, especially in a manufacturing context especially if they already have like an AI adoption team in right. place. How do you keep that work going to start bringing in the semantic layer to the physical right, data right, that you're taking, right. the video? So I think you put the infrastructure in to begin with. You essentially start to have to understand what is the ontology of things that you're interested in. What are the object classes? What are the actions? What are the behaviors that you generally think are important? Not necessarily things that I want to see, you know, tell me when this happens, tell me when somebody falls. That's That's one level. But tell me what are the things that are germane to this environment? And we can get that from the large language models. We can study these things as well. And then once you have that capacity to understand the ontology of things, then you can start to suggest, okay, now what is it that I need to understand about each of these things independently? What is it do I need to understand about a forklift? What is it do I need to understand about these? These, these are the affordance. What makes a forklift interesting? What makes it, you know, is it, it, does it have a payload or not? Does it have a flat tire? These are the types of things that I want to understand about it. And once you start pulling those things together, that can come from, and it can come from multiple sources. It can come from the literature. It can come from domain experts, but it also can be learned bottom up. And that's, that's an important thing now. So we're getting a lot of bottom up capabilities where I'm just exposed to the world for a long periods of time. And we can start to see what are the interesting modes with which this thing operates. So once you understand what that dynamic system of your world is, then you can piece by piece go after those things. And this is what we call the grounding problem, right? You've got to ground these concepts in the ability to recognize what they are. And to me, grounding is more than just classification with respect to video instances, but it's to see them through a prism or a perception of what we think is important. So how should I be looking at a person? Should I be looking at the way they walk? Should I be looking at what they're carrying, what they're doing? How should I look? And these are that's that's almost the act of perception. Then, right? You know, what is yeah. it? The way I how do I project these things into salient dimensions? I can't I can't think about all things in all possible ways all the time. This doesn't work that way, right? And if right. you can get down to this is how I look at this, this is how I look at that, not to the point where it's so specific that it only sort of satisfies one answer, but if I have the general idea of how I should look at things. Then I'm in the then I'm in the races. So I think that's you have a really deep understanding of what it is you're you're looking at. Then we go forward. 
Right. And and correct me if I'm wrong, but it almost sounds like folks who are listening to this podcast, maybe they don't have their full computer vision, right. AI adoption off the ground yet. It almost sounds like if they have an advantage, because if this is where the frontier is, they can start thinking about grounding now, building it into the system rather than getting there and saying, oh, let's just focus on just getting the computer vision of the factory floor. Just just getting what's going on. They can start thinking about how do I how do I get to what do I need for that next phase? We need grounding. OK, how do I think about those problems right. now that? I'm putting that into the system. A, a holistic approach as opposed to an opportunistic yeah. approach. Yeah, I agree. Exactly. But even for for those folks, you know, who are just in, in the middle of their process or better yet, even haven't even started where it is incomplete, maybe what should they be looking out for to set the table for the for that grounding phase? So I think there's a sense to me of well, A, there's the infrastructure. You know, you should be you, you how do I how do I set up, how do I observe this world? How do I create essentially an understanding of what is, you know, think of it like a zoo, right? I've, I've got a, I've got all, you know, cataloging what are the types of behaviors that, there's a lot of things going on that you don't necessarily know that they are actually going on or wouldn't have thought that's important. But, you know, things like, you know, when do people pick up, is there a schedule for when people pick up garbage or, or make certain deliveries? Those, the temporal thing. So if you can almost sort of study your world to a large degree and get the, the rhythms of it, I think that's important. It becomes, you know, we take a lot of things for granted, but I think if managers and people who are living in those environments can be more attuned to the rhythms of those environments and those behaviors, then we can articulate what they are and also learn what they are. And to me, that's that process, that becoming more aware of the environment so that we can then ground it and then hopefully take advantage of these sort of skills that are coming out from our machines. Yeah. And I, I know human beings, and this is the point of computer vision, especially for the factory floor, human beings don't have sensors. Right. But it sounds like that, you know, as far as like the individual motions of everybody on that factory floor, you're essentially trying to do predictive inventory for That's them. Right. When right. do they arrive? What time do they do this? Even if they take a coffee break, even if they get distracted by the birds for a second, how fast does this get done? And that information sounds like it's what's most important to the yes, grounding right. the, process. The patterns of life. That, that's that's yeah. that's the view of it. I think that's an important element to this whole thing. And if and is if, that an official metric? Patterns of uh, life? I'm not sure if it's an official <laughs> metric, but I think it's, I think it is a research topic. I think people talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it, and it plays out definitely into everything that we're seeing in the manufacturing right. space. More to come. We're going to talk about computer vision and manufacturing in another episode, and and why that has leveled up and and the advantages that it brings. But Peter, thank you so much for this general overview. We were really excited to have you back on the program. Excellent. Thank you. Looking forward. Don't forget to check out the other episodes in our Beyond GPU series, which started on Saturday, September 9th with Mark Heaps, Vice President of Brandon Creative at Grok, talking about solutions for AI hardware challenges from infrastructure to development. Next, we had Adam Burns, which premiered last Saturday, September 16th, talking about AI hardware for computer vision. Adam is VP of Network and Edge, Director of Edge AI Development Tools at Intel. And for our final episode next Saturday, September 30th, we'll be featuring Rain AI CEO Gordon Wilson talking about finding ROI for AI at the edge. He brings up some really interesting use cases in that episode coming from industrial robotics and smart retail that I think are really, really fascinating. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast.